Hi, I'm Henry. Welcome to my dad's podcast snippets. Good. All right, you try. You try. Ready? Yeah. Go. Um. Hi, Eddie. Welcome to my dad's snippets. <laughs> Close. From the first mile, I knew our attempt to retrace the Oregon Trail would end one of two ways. Either my six-year-old Henry and I would have the time of our lives, or one of us would be hailing a cab. Minutes after the final school bell of the year rang, my freshly graduated kindergartner and I loaded up the rental car, kissed our family goodbye, and backed out of the drive to strike out on our 2,500-mile westward adventure. Henry agreed to narrate. What happened next ought to have served as a pretty on-the-nose premonition of things to come. A hurled lightning bolt or four flat tires couldn't have been clearer. But I'd been planning this trip for months, and premonition or not, I refused to be turned away. The car wasn't started, but now it is. Now it is. Don't worry. Well, maybe worry a little. The good news, from then on out, I'd know how to operate our 21st century wagon. We traveled south for the next three hours, fueled by the thrill of that first moment of summer. We cranked the radio, sank our teeth into peaches, and took turns talking about the sights we couldn't wait to see. Chimney Rock, Independence Rock, and last but not least, the ocean. But just before dinner, Henry saw another sight that demanded we pull the car to the side of the road. So we're at our first gas station uh, somewhere in Minnesota. Albert Leah says the water tower ahead of me. We are at the Happy Trails Lane. And where are we eating first? Henry got to pick the first restaurant. We are at? McDonald's. Embarrassingly, we are at McDonald's. But at least it's this kind of big, beautiful wooden one. So yeah, things are going our way. They really were at least since I'd figured out how to start the car. Listening to the recording today, I can hear the enthusiasm in our voices. It's like we couldn't talk fast enough. I was excited, sure, but also a little afraid. Not of cholera or broken wagon axles like our pioneer ancestors, but of simpler fears, like being alone with a child for every second of every day for two full weeks. There were simply so many opportunities for me to let him down. So many scenarios in which I wouldn't live up to my own high expectations. Thankfully, the trail went easy on us for a while. But then, at 2 a.m. on June 9th, while fast asleep in our tent at the Grand Island KOA in Donovan, Nebraska, the wind began to pick up. No matter, I figured that's why we have tent stakes. Tent stakes, which, of course, I hadn't seen fit to drive into the ground. Why bother on such a beautiful night? But at 2 a.m., the night was less than beautiful. It was dangerous. Taking a better late than never approach, I ran outside and attempted to drive the stakes in by hand. Or rather, by sandal, since I hadn't thought to pack a hammer. After a bit of effort, I worked them into the hard earth. 
only to turn to my right to notice that my fellow tent campers were actively doing the opposite, disassembling their tents and sprinting for shelter. Henry, wake up, I called, and when that didn't work, unzipped the tent flap completely and allowed a strong gust of wind to enter. What's going on, he whispered. Buddy, get in the car. Why? A storm's coming. In truth, the storm was already there. He stumbled into the car while I pulled out the tent poles in the rain, eventually hurling everything into the trunk and taking refuge in the driver's seat. Henry, meanwhile, had curled into a ball beside the styrofoam cooler and was now back to snoring without much interruption. Listening to the rain clattering to the roof of our car, I reflected on all the ways I could have prevented this outcome. By driving the stakes, getting a sense of my surroundings, or at the very least, taking a peek at a weather report. Safe inside the car, I watched the trees bend in the wind just beyond the windshield. The days passed like seasons, time moving so wondrously slow that it gave us ample opportunity to savor everything. We visited all the major stops, eventually making our way to the landmark Henry was most excited about, Independence Rock. Yeah, lunch at Independence Rock. Yeah, but we were supposed to eat on top, but we can eat on top. Yeah, we're not sure how to climb up there, nor do we know if we want to with potential snakes, but we can enjoy this. Mm. We saw some antelope, lots of bunnies, lots of sprawlings of names. I heard a bunch of snakes. Heard something, yeah. We were the only ones hiking. That's so weird. And then, as we hike that final curve, we do the unthinkable. We leave the trail and claw our way to the top. What are you doing, Henry calls from a few feet down. What's it look like I'm doing? We tell ourselves we're just going to climb a couple of feet, but then that turns into a couple more feet, then a few more after that. The view from the top is astonishing. It feels like we're seeing our country for the very first time. Far below, we see the hills and prairie and a couple of antelope bouncing through a field. We're far from the first to see this view which makes it all the sweeter, because now we've joined the pioneers who saw it long before, who stood right where we're standing now, hands on hips, breathing in their country. Well, I ask him, is it everything you thought it'd be? Nah, he says, it's better. A few days later, we pitch our tent at a KOA in Montpelier, Idaho. We're the only tent in the campground, which means we get prime real estate, a secluded spot alongside a stream that keeps us awake half the night by the rush of water. We love everything about that place, doing our laundry, racing through the woods, and especially inventing a game which we call basketball bocce ball. It's pretty much what it sounds like. That night, once we zip into our sleeping bags, we partake in what's become our nightly ritual, clicking on the flashlight and reading a few too many chapters of sideways stories from Wayside School. Henry giggles madly at the conclusion of each story, and his giggling makes me giggle too. All right, time for bed, I announced. Henry clicked off the flashlight, and then, testing his luck, flipped it on again. Time for one more, he asked hopefully. 
And of course, there is time. Because when you're in a tent by a stream in Montpelier, Idaho, all you've got is time. And then it happens. We reach Oregon. But truth be told, it all feels pretty anticlimactic, almost a little disappointing. Not because I'm not proud of what we've accomplished, but because what have we accomplished? We managed to drive a rental car a couple thousand miles with the assistance of every modern convenience of the 21st century. And aside from a storm, an oil change, and a couple of damp towels, we hardly faced any hardships at all. Sure, we slept on the ground, and yes, we ate more than our fair share of peanut butter sandwiches. But all things considered, we'd done what we'd done rather effortlessly. Which is to say the world had been kind to us. In turn, we tried to be kind to the world. Every interaction is an opportunity for kindness, I tell Henry one night as we roam the campgrounds. He takes it literally, waving to everyone we meet. One night at a KOA in Pendleton, Wyoming, when it's too late for basketball bocce and too early for sideways stories, I introduce Henry to Mad Libs. A few days before, we picked up a book of them at the Boise Library, and within minutes, he'd become obsessed with nouns, verbs, and adjectives, as well as taking it upon himself to wrangle the word fart into as many parts of speech as possible. Here are five stompy suggestions to follow if you want an ugly night's sleep. Open a window and fill your eyeballs with fresh alien. And then exhale nervously. Exercise funnily at least 15 hissing cockroaches a day. Doctors and stinky therapists suggest a combination of push-ups and fart-ups. Jumping trees and of course deep nose bends. When he wasn't listening to audiobooks or playing with toys, Henry spent most of the miles in the back seat drawing in his composition book. What are you up to back there, I'd ask. None of your business, he'd reply. Which seemed funny at first, then less funny. We were literally together 24 hours a day, and yet somehow a secret had still managed to take root between us. Seriously, I'd retried shortly after crossing into Oregon. What's going on in that notebook of yours? We woke early on Father's Day, Henry's eyes barely cracking before he leapt to his feet and rushed me to the car. Come on, he said, unlock it. I need to show you something. I stumbled after him, watched him paw through his backpack, then felt his composition book thrust into my hands. Here, he said, I made you a book. This book is incredible. How long have you been working on this? Maybe the entire trip? <laughs> You've been dreaming this up in the backseat the whole time and you never told me. Yes, because it's for Father's Day. It's oh, for you. I love it. Thank you so much. It's the best. And someone helped me with the last page. A woman in a bookstore, in fact. I'd watched the whole thing go down while I was trying to give a reading, but didn't know what to make of it at the time. And then... Wow. And then the question marks, what's going to happen next? And then we have a Father's Day message on June 17, 2018, and the lady from the reading helped you write this, right? It says, Dad, I like when you draw a big world with me. 
like when you take me out and we go and do stuff together. <laughs> I like when you write books. Oh, buddy, it's so nice. And look, there's a hidden picture. <laughs> oh, so this nice. guy. We spent our last day on the ocean, camping at Nehalem State Park and listening to the waves just to dune away. By that point in the trip, we'd read all the sideways stories, completed most of the Mad Libs, and so spent what little time remained reading a joke book. Are you, what do you call a bee? What do you call a bee having, what do you call a bee having a bad hair day? A frisbee. <laughs> the truth is we might have set our sights on any place. Just about any destination would do. Early in the planning phase, I'd made some lofty goals about undertaking this journey to quote-unquote rediscover America. But all I really wanted was to rediscover my son and myself and indulge in as much uninterrupted time together as he could stand. What we wanted were campfires and cookouts and conversations deep into the night. I wanted books and mad libs and jokes. All the better, too, if along the way we took in a view from the top of Independence Rock. Thinking back on it now, as we stood there that day, it wasn't the view below that stays with me. It was the view of the boy directly beside me. The boy who followed me fearlessly up the side of that rock for 130 feet and the boy who transformed a notebook into the best memory of all. Together, we crossed our country until the road ran out. And with every mile, I prayed it never would. <laughs>